Well, today I want to start off by playing a game. Now, my mom's going to love this game because there are no winners and losers in this game. But if you're competitive like me and my dad, we're going to have trouble playing this game, okay? Because there's no winners or losers. So just pretend like you're a child in today's culture and everyone wins whether you're good or not, okay? Just pretend like that. I'm going to get myself in trouble, so let's move on. Uh, this is a simple repeating game, okay? And I just want you to repeat out loud, everyone participate, repeat out loud a couple of phrases. They're super easy. Just repeat this after me. God loves me. God loves me. See, you're great at this game. You're all winners, like I said. Uh, and it's good. It's an encouraging way to start God loves me. Now I want you to turn to someone that you came with or somebody you're next to. Or if that freaks you out, just in general, say this out loud. God loves you. Very good. God loves you. God loves me. If we had a giant purple dinosaur, we could sing about being a happy family. And you're welcome for putting that song in your mind for the rest of the day. So these next ones, you don't have to repeat out loud, but just repeat them in your head. Just re repeat these, these phrases. God loves people who are not like me. No, you just, just don't say it out loud. Just read it in your mind. God loves people I don't even like. God loves people who don't like me. And therein lies our problem. If you're new here, my name's Jeff Manis. I'm the lead pastor here. And whether you are new or regular attender, whether you're right here in the auditorium or joining us on a video screen somewhere, I'm so glad that you are with us today. Week number one of a four-week sermon series I'll be doing called Love is Louder. We live in a culture of noise, do we not? Just noise. The noise of anger, hatred, racism, division, anti-this, anti-that, whatever it is. If you watch the news or scroll through your social media feed, or if you're older than 25 years old and you know that this is newspaper back here and you read a newspaper, like it's filled with noise and to be honest, it's overwhelming. It's overwhelming. Then you have the church, Christians, and we come along and we just, we just kind of add to the noise. And for the most part, I think we have good intentions, but we want to try to get our opinion in too. And in the process, we just try and yell louder than the noise that already exists. And in the process, we just get drowned out by all the other noise. Brielle, our worship director here, when she pitched the idea for this series months ago, she, she told us about a conversation she was having with a friend of hers here in the church about the noise of culture and how the only thing that can rise above the noise is love. And as soon as Brielle said that, it, it resonated in my heart and we began planning this series where we're going to challenge our church to rise above the noise with our love. We were initially going to call the series, Make Love Louder. And then the junior high boy that lives in my head started laughing, like you. And I said, wait a minute, we cannot call the series Make Love Louder. That's a whole nother series altogether, right? Like, but I digress. The reality is somebody said, amen, that is awesome. The reality is, though, and I'm not being funny with this next statement, okay? The reality is we don't have to make love louder because love is louder. Love is what rises above everything else in this life. 
In the Gospel of John, Jesus is recorded by John, his best friend while on the earth, giving these words to his disciples and ultimately to us. Excuse me. John 13, 34. Jesus says this, So now I am giving you a new commandment, love each other. This new commandment, by the way, was so much more than just the disciples loving the other disciples. We need to understand that, okay? That, that for us to limit this command to the disciples loving each other or Christians loving Christians would be completely missing the heart and message of Jesus in this. Because Jesus, in his teaching, had already challenged these disciples and ultimately had already challenged us not just to love those who love you, but to love those who hate you. To bless and pray for those who persecute you. To love your neighbor, absolutely, but also to love your enemy, even if they are your actual neighbor. He challenged us to love those who aren't like you, who don't like you, and who disagree with you. Jesus, he came along and he broke the mold with this teaching. He was, he was calling his followers to a level of love the world had never seen before. And quite frankly, church, it's a level of love our world desperately needs to see today. And it needs to rise from his church. Jesus goes on to say, that this kind of love, if you live it out, the world will take notice of it. That's how loud love is. Going back to John 13, 34, rereading that verse and then verse 35. So now I'm giving you a new commandment. Love each other. And then look at this. Just as I have loved you. Hello. You should love each other. Your love for one another will prove to the world that you're my disciples. Important to note, by the way, that at this time in Jewish history, there were many other rabbis and teachers that had their own followers or disciples. And you could actually tell which disciples belonged to which rabbi by the habits in their life or something they wore or a style of worship or a particular ceremony or creed or theology they had adopted. So literally, you, you might see someone wearing a certain kind of tunic or a head covering and you would say, oh, they belong to rabbis such and such. So Jesus was actually saying, my followers should not just be known by the habits in their life, by what they wear, by their style of worship, by their particular creeds or ceremonies or, or, or theologies that they have picked up. No, my followers most should be known by their love. Hello. And by the way, that's what they were known for. The very first Christians were known for their love. It's what rose to the top. In fact, ancient historians in Christianity will tell us that even the pagan persecutors of Christians in the first century could not help but declare in amazement about these followers of Jesus. Look at how they love one another. These very first Christians were known for their love. So what are we known for today? 
Well, in 2017, there was a study done by a a Christian organization called the Pew Research Group, P-E-W, like church pews, and they interviewed a bunch of millennial Americans, and they wanted to know, what do millennials think about Christianity? How would you describe Christianity? And here's what millennials said about Christianity. Just over 60% of millennials say that Christianity is judgmental. And 64% say that anti-gay best describes most churches today. Best describes most churches today. It seems that maybe we have simply joined the noise So in a culture already full of noise, something or someone has to rise above it, and church, that's where we come in. We have to rise above the noise. If you have your Bible, turn to 1 Corinthians 13. 1 Corinthians in the New Testament portion of the Bible, chapter 13 is actually called the love chapter in the Bible. We're going to use 1 Corinthians 13 as our launching point for the entire sermon series. If you didn't bring your Bible, don't worry about it. I would encourage you to bring one next week, but you can follow along on the screens. If you have a mobile device, you can download a free Bible called Version, and on the, the events page there, you can follow all the notes and everything. And if you don't own a Bible, uh, we love giving them away. We do every week, so ask for a Bible free of charge at guest services on your way out. A little background to 1 Corinthians. A guy named Paul, we call him the Apostle Paul, is writing a letter to a group of Christians in a town called Corinth. The previous chapter, chapter 12, was all about spiritual gifts, that God gives a spiritual gift or talent to everyone, and that should be used for his good and his glory. But I think chapter 13, God gives us because he knew that as humans, we would start placing higher priorities on certain gifts. And so God reminds us that there is one gift that every follower of Jesus is given, and that gift rises above everything else, and that gift is what? Love. It's love. Love is louder. Now, if you're here today, you don't believe in Jesus as your Savior, I am thrilled that you are here. I will not hide the fact that our highest desire is for you to put your faith in Jesus and then follow him with us. But we can't force you to make that decision, and we won't. Uh, you have to make that decision on your own, and no matter what decision you make, we're going to do our best to love you here just the same. In this message, and I really hope you'll come for the whole series, if you don't believe, I hope what you'll at least see is the kind of love that we Christians are called to display. I hope you'll see that. And not everyone who claims to be a Christian is going to live out this love, no. And not even all of us who are trying our hardest to live out this love will do it perfectly. But as your pastor, I think I can speak for myself and confidently for the believers in the room, we're going to do our best to display this love. Right, church? Amen? We're going to do our best to display this love. So 1 Corinthians 13, we're going to read verses 1 through 3 and then jump to the end to look at the last verse, verse 13. If I could speak all the languages of earth and of angels, but didn't love others, I would only be a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. I'm just joining the noise. If I had the gift of prophecy, and if I understood all God's secret plans and possessed all knowledge, so in other words, if I understood theology perfectly, and if I had such faith that I could move mountains but did not love others, I would be nothing. 
If I gave everything I have to the poor, even sacrificed my body, I could boast about it. But if I didn't love others, I would have gained nothing. Now verse 13. After describing love, Paul says this. And now, these three remain. Out of every gift you could have or everything you could ever do for God, these three remain. Faith, hope, and love. But the greatest of these is, let's say it together, love. The greatest is love. So here's the big idea for today. It really is the big idea for our whole series. It's on the screens if you want to write it down. It's this. If love is to be louder in my life, then love must be the leader of my life. If I want love to be loud, then love has to lead in everything that I do. So if that's true, then we better ask this big question. How do I lead with love? How do I lead with love? The main scripture is 1 Corinthians 13, first part of verse 4. It's only five words long. We're going to put it on the screens here. Here is our main scripture. Love is patient and kind. I want to leave that up on the screens, and I want you to insert your name for love. Can you read that without laughing or feeling guilty? Because I guarantee you, three words in, my family's already laughing at me. Jeff is patient. My family's laughing the loudest. Jeff is kind. I probably got the kind one figured out a little bit more than the patient one at this point. The word for patient here, though, is so much deeper than just how we kind of view patience. Like, it's more than just staying calm when the person in front of you does not press the gas immediately when the light turns green. Like, it drives me crazy. The light's green! Let's go! I know I need therapy, but I'm just saying. It's deeper than that, okay? It's more than just controlling your anger when your kids leave their socks on the floor for the 5,000th time. Can I get a witness for that one? We should work on those things, but it's more than that. The word patient in the original Greek language that this would have been written in, here it is on the screens. I'm not going to try to pronounce it. It's ironic you need patience to try to say it. Is that hard? It's the definition I want to look at. Here's what patient actually means in the Greek language. To defer anger, refusing to retaliate with anger from our human reasoning. The literal sense of the term is extending a long time away. So if love's to be louder in my life, then love must be the leader of my life. How do I lead with love? Well, based on that definition, I think the first thing is this. I have to choose to endure. I've got to choose to endure. We're going to dive deep into some word meanings today. And I needed lots of help with this in my message. So a couple of commentaries, the Barnes and Gill commentary, said this about the word love, or patience, I mean. The word used for patience here denotes a slowness to anger or passion, long-suffering, patient endurance, and forbearance. It is opposed to haste, to passionate expressions and thoughts, and to irritability. It denotes the state of mind which can bear long when oppressed, provoked, accused falsely, or when one seeks to injure us. It is not quick to resentment nor hasty to revenge when affronted, but is ready to forgive. 
Help us, Lord Jesus. Like you just apply that in your home and you have enough to work on for the rest of your life. Let alone displaying that to the world. Right? So we got to choose to endure. Well, what do we endure? Well, letter A is this. We've got to endure what's done against me. I have to endure, be patient with what's done against me. Which, by the way, is what Jesus did to model for us. Peter, one of the 12 disciples, in his letter, 1 Peter, chapter 2 in the New Testament, 21 through 23, says this about Jesus and about us. For God called you to do good, even if it means suffering, just as Christ suffered for you. He is your example, and you, what's the word? Must, not should, you must follow in his steps. He never sinned, nor ever deceived anyone. I don't even have time to deal with that one. He did not retaliate. Here's what I want us to see. He did not retaliate when he was insulted, nor threaten revenge when he suffered. He left his case in the hands of God, who always judges fairly. Love is patient. Now listen, I'm not talking about seeking out bad things to happen to you or hoping bad things happen or are done to you. I'm talking about when someone treats you angrily, when someone treats you poorly, choose to endure. Be patient. Like don't go out and post about what was done to you on social media even if you leave out their name. Don't call out the person who hurts you or talk about them behind their back or, or hold grudges against them or treat them differently because of how they treated you. Our world responds with resentment and haste and anger and passion and revenge, but love responds with patience, forbearance, even forgiveness. Church, our world needs Christians to lead the way in this. It's actually how Jesus led the way. So if we claim that Jesus is the leader of our life, our life should reflect this patience. Love chooses to endure what's done to me. It turns the other cheek. It blesses and prays for those who persecute me. It forgives those who have offended me, even if the offender does not ask for forgiveness. So I've got to endure what's done against me. Letter B, I need to endure things done around me. I'm going to get personal with the church here. This might be the one that our Christian subculture struggles with the most. Our response to things done around us, mainly the lives, lifestyles, beliefs, or opinions that oppose our own or what we believe to be true. So the Albert Barnes commentary, again, digging down deep into this word patient, says this. This love is patient towards all people. It suffers, meaning it puts up with. It puts up with all the weakness, ignorance, errors, and infirmities of the children of God. And it puts up with the malice and wickedness of the children of the world. And all of this, not only for a time, but to the end, and in every step, an attempt to overcome evil with good. That's personal, church. 
for how the church is living in today's culture. We, we must understand as followers of Jesus that, that those who don't follow Jesus, they don't need us to make them more like us. They need us to love them just the way they are. That yes, Christians, we are called to be different and we're dealing with that next week. But we are also called first to love those who are different. That the church has got to stop yelling at the darkness for being dark and start actually shining the light of love into that darkness. We need that. On the flip side, because I don't want to leave anybody out. On the flip side, we also need to understand that true love does not give license to live however you want. That's not love. True love accepts you the way you are living, yes, but also wants to lead you into the life you are called to live by God himself. My dad last week preached on grace. And he mentioned there's another part to grace. It is what? Truth. Yes, we should be gracious and loving. Yet at the same time, the church has to figure out how we can, like Jesus, be full of grace and truth. There's a way to do it. It's being patient. <laughs> it's choosing to do or endure what's done around me. That if love's to be the leader of my life, then love, uh, if love is to be louder in my life, then love must be the leader of my life. So how do I lead with love? Well, I, I choose to endure what's done to me and what's done around me. Number two is this. I choose to exceed expectations. We need to exceed expectations as followers of Jesus, and here's what I mean, letter A, we should exceed expectations in our temperament. Oftentimes, as Christians, we talk about the joy of the Lord. We always talk about the joy of the Lord. What I want to say to a lot of Christians is, if you say you have the joy of the Lord, you might want to tell your face. Because quite honestly, some of the grumpiest people I've ever met in my life claim they have the joy of the Lord. It's actually proven, by the way, in another study that was done. Barna Research Group, one of the leading Christian research organizations, they did a three-year poll of millions of young, unchurched Americans, similar to the Pew Research poll I mentioned earlier. They just wanted to know from young, unchurched Americans, what do you think about Christianity? When asked to describe Christians, here are six of their top descriptors. They're not on the screens, but here they are. Judgmental, hypocritical, anti-gay, too political, insensitive, and the last one cracks me up, boring. <laughs> they just threw that one in with all the other bad ones. <laughs> Which, by the way, I joke about it, is part of the reason why we try to have fun at church. We should have fun at church. Christians, we have the greatest news on the planet. And we act like it's bad news and not good news. 
So let's be happy and celebrate and have fun at church. Like the night of worship coming up next Monday on the 13th, like we are going to absolutely blow this place up. It's going to be amazing. You don't want to miss it. It's going to be so much fun and exciting. That should be part of who we are. Those last two descriptors, insensitive and boring, by the way, are kind of where I want to hang out here. Fair or not, true or not, that is the perception of the church. Okay? We can disagree with that perception, but it's their perception, and for them, perception is reality. So insensitive and boring, God, in our main scripture through the Apostle Paul, tells us that love is kind. So here's the definition of kind. The Greek word there, I'm not going to try to pronounce it. I'm just going to call it Christmas time, because that sounds kind. (laughs) So the word for kind, you can quote Pastor Jeff, in the Greek is Christmas time. But here's the meaning of it. Liberal, and don't freak out. That does not mean Democrat, although the way you respond to that word might say a lot about your kindness. That word liberal means open, free, alive. So liberal, bountiful, and good-natured, not gloomy, doing good to all men, gentle, courteous, tender, affectionate, love is that, kind. It's kind. So... If we are leading with love, those should be the words used to describe Christians not insensitive and boring. Like when people come in contact with us out in our lives and they find out that we are Christians, we should exceed their expectations in our temperament. Like what if we lived our lives in such a way that people who don't believe in Jesus would say, you know what, I don't believe what those Christians believe, but I love being around them. They are the most joyful, passionate, exciting, pleasing, courteous, tender, affectionate, kind people I've ever been around. I mean, this is not some groundbreaking theology, is it? This is baseline humanity to simply be kind. You'd think we as Christians would be leading the way in this. It's simply who Jesus was. Yet there are some Christians who will wear with pride the fact that no one likes them and everyone's against them. And they will say things like, well, Jesus was killed for the way he lived as their excuse for living the way they're living, unkind. And I would say, yes, Jesus was killed, but be very careful because we've got to remember Jesus was actually killed by the so-called Christians of his day for loving and hanging out with people who didn't live like Christians. Jesus was killed because the people who were least like Jesus liked him the most. So be very careful what you wear as pride for people coming against you. Unless you are leading the way in kindness. And then you shouldn't be prideful anyway because we're dealing with that one next week. You've got to be kind. Love's kind. This goes hand in hand. It might be the same thing, but I'm OCD. I need a letter B with a similar word. So in our treatment of others, we need to... Exceed expectations in our treatment of others. And listen, especially those who disagree with us. The way we treat and respond to people 
who disagree with our theology, our lifestyle, our politics, our opinions, our beliefs, whatever it is, the way we respond to those who disagree with us, even those who attack us for our disagreement is one of the truest signs of love in your life. Friends, we can be right in our belief while also being wrong in our behavior of how we treat people who disagree with us. In his book, Everybody Always, which I highly recommend, I read it in preparation for this series, by Bob Goff, he says this, As a lawyer, I win arguments for a living, but something has changed within me. I want to be Jesus. I've concluded we can be correct and not right. Whenever I make my opinions more important than the difficult people God made, I turn the wine back into water. I'm trying to resist the bait that darkness offers me every day to trade kindness for rightness. And then the brilliant, amazing, well-known theologian, Pastor John Wilson, our e-kids pastor here at Element Church, he said something a few weeks ago that blew me away. He said, kindness is a fruit of the Spirit, rightness isn't. That's deep. I'm glad he's our kids' pastor. Yet there are people who defend their behavior against those they disagree with by saying, well, they need to know the truth. Okay. Can we not show them the truth just as loud as we say it? If not louder? Isn't that what Jesus did for us? I could, I could almost bet everything I own that there's not one of us in this room who believe in Jesus that did so based on what Jesus said. We believe in Jesus based on what he showed to us. Romans 2 verse 4, the Apostle Paul said that. Don't you see how wonderfully kind, tolerant, and patient, there's our two words, that God is with you. Does this mean nothing to you? Can't you see that his kindness, his love, is intended to turn you from your sin? That it wasn't what God said that turned us from sin. It's what God showed. His loving, patient, kind, tolerant grace. That all of us have sinned, me and you included, we've all sinned. That sin separated us for eternity from God. But God loved us so much, and in his kindness, he said, I will come on your behalf in the form of a man named Jesus. I will die in your place, pay the price for your sins. And if you'll believe in me, that sacrifice, I'll forgive you of those sins. I'll give you a new life. My love will now live in and through you, and you'll be with me forever in eternity. But it's what he showed not what he said. What he said was true, and it's good, and we're going to teach it. But what he showed is how he led. Church, our declaration about who God is, what he's done for us, and what he expects of us will not matter to those who don't believe or those who disagree unless we first demonstrate his love before they believe. So often, I think, the church, we kind of get this backwards we expect those who don't believe to follow God's laws when they've never experienced his saving love. We try and reach people. Our tactic in reaching people is declaring God's laws. 
This is how you should behave. Instead of demonstrating his love by saying, this is what it looks like to belong to the family of God. Like, let me, let me show you what God's done for me. That because God saved me, I can be liberal, open, free, alive, abundant. I'm bountiful, good-natured, not gloomy, doing good to all men, gentle, courteous, tender, affectionate, and kind. Look what it's like to belong. And in our belonging, we actually create a hunger in other people to believe. I heard John Maxwell say recently in a sermon, he said, our job as Christians is to make people hungry. Because when they're hungry, we can give them the bread of life. So is my life making people hungry for what I have? It only will if I'm patient and kind. It only will. If love's to be louder in my life, then love must be the leader of my life. So how do I lead the way with love? I, I choose to endure what's done to me and what, what's done against me and what's done around me. I choose to exceed expectations in my temperament and in my treatment of others, especially those who disagree. So where is God moving you to be more patient or more kind? Listen, church, when I started studying this passage, I did not want to preach this message. Because in preaching this message, then I have to live it. <laughs> And now in hearing it, you're also accountable to it. So we're all in the same sinking boat. And without the Holy Spirit's help, we cannot do this. So Holy Spirit, would you help me be patient and be kind? Would you help our church show our community the loving patience and kindness of our great God? Where's your next step? Who is God wanting you to be patient with? Where is God calling you to be patient? What person or people group is your kindness not being shown? Where are you reacting inappropriately to people who disagree with you or live differently than you? Where do I need to find that middle ground of grace and truth? I don't know what it is for you. I know what it is for me. Only you and God know. Maybe you've never experienced the loving kindness of God through salvation. I talked about it earlier, that in his kindness, Jesus, God in the flesh, he came for you. He did die in your place. He rose from the dead. And he says, if you'll put your faith in me, I'll help you follow me. And a part of that following is being patient and kind. So if you want to talk more about what it means to put your faith in Jesus and experience that loving kindness, I'm not going to give an opportunity right now, but you have that opportunity always. You can talk with me in the lobby, a member of our prayer team at the back of the room, or you can grab one of our staff members or volunteers. You don't have to make a decision today. I'd love for you to. If you want to talk about that, let me know, okay? You guys are awesome. Let me pray for you. And then uh, just hang tight, get a few closing remarks. Lord, thanks so much for your loving patience and kindness. We are all beneficiaries of that. It only counts on our behalf if we receive it. So Lord, if there's anybody in this room who needs to receive that saving love, I pray they'd seek you out, seek one of us out to talk about that. Lord, help us, help me to lead the way with love, that we choose to endure 
and choose to exceed expectations. Only by your grace and power, Holy Spirit, can we do that, so help us. We love you, God, and we give you praise in Jesus' name. Amen.